again, it depends on what you're experiencing and what your history is. Because, you you know, what you're experiencing now, if it's vastly different than anything you've experienced, and that probably doesn't indicate ADHD, and it might indicate more situational anxiety or depression. But if what you're experiencing now is just an exacerbation of things that have already been present, uh, then that's uh, that's a different sort of kettle of fish and and worth exploring with someone. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. Before we get started, I'd like to share with you this review from the Apple podcast platform from a listener called Poppy8888. And it is called, Wow, It All Makes Sense Now. I was just diagnosed at age 44. Looking back at my whole life, it all makes sense now. And wow, listening to you and your guests talk makes me feel like I'm listening to myself, especially when a guest says something like, wait, what were we talking about? After years of feeling like I was going crazy and a hot mess, now I feel like I have a toolbox to help me through my daily struggles. And the more I listen to how other people move through their days, I feel seen. I am so much more compassionate with myself knowing that I'm just fine and I'm actually doing pretty great in my life, all things considered. Oh my goodness, I love this sentiment and I share it completely. So much of this diagnosis is about changing our view of ourselves and being kinder to ourselves as we figure out what works best for us and our brains, rather than simply feeling like there is something wrong with us. So thank you, Poppy, for writing that review. And thank you to all of you who stop and take the time to leave reviews. I know it takes a lot of effort to remember to stop what you're doing and put your thoughts into words. It's a lot. So thank you. And if that is too much, and I totally get it, then please just tap the five stars, or you could take a screen grab and share it on social media. You know, whatever you can do to get the word out is always so appreciated because it will help other women find this podcast and hear these conversations and start connecting the dots in their own lives. And if you're looking for some more help in learning how to love your brain and live a more fulfilling, gratifying life, and you're looking to connect with other amazing women with ADHD, then you might be interested in some of my upcoming small group coaching programs. Each group will be limited to myself and six other women with ADHD, where we will join together for six weekly online sessions to develop a greater understanding of who we are through this lens of ADHD and what settings and structures help us best operate. We'll use the time together for goal setting, intention setting, and accountability, articulating together what we most need as women with ADHD and how we can help each other get there. Now, these groups are open to all adults who are socialized as girls or identify as women and have been either formally diagnosed with ADHD or self-diagnosed with ADHD and really just exploring this new identity. So if you're interested in joining us, head over to womenandadhd.com slash group coaching to view the various times, dates, and pricing of the upcoming groups. And there's a form for you to fill out to add yourself to the list. Again, that's womenandadhd.com slash group coaching. And I will put that link in the show notes. Okay, here we are at episode 76, in which I interview Dr. Sharon Celine. Dr. Celine is a clinical psychologist and the author of the incredible award-winning book, What Your ADHD Child Wishes You Knew, working together to empower kids for success in school and life. She's also the creator of the ADHD Solution Card Deck, and she specializes in working with children, teens, emerging adults, and families living with ADHD, anxiety, learning disabilities, high-functioning autism, twice-exceptionality, and mental health issues. 
With her unique perspective as a sibling in an ADHD home, combined with decades of experience as a clinical psychologist and an educator and clinician consultant, Dr. Celine is one of the foremost experts in ADHD. She lectures and facilitates workshops internationally on topics such as understanding ADHD, executive functioning, anxiety, motivation, different kinds of learning, and the teen brain. She is a regular contributor to Attitude Magazine and Psychology Today. She's a featured expert on mass appeal on WWLP-TV, and she's a part-time lecturer at the Smith School for Social Work. If you're listening to this episode the week of March 14th, then she's also one of the featured experts at the ADHD Women's Palooza. She'll be speaking on Tuesday, March 15th about perfectionism and ADHD, making good enough work for you. So you may still be able to catch that for free over at ADHDpalooza.com. In this interview, Dr. Celine and I talk all about how her interest in ADHD was sparked as a psychologist, as well as inattentive type ADHD in childhood, and why so many of those particular kids, boys and girls, with inattentive ADHD, end up misdiagnosed with depression and anxiety. And we also talk about the adult diagnosis experience and the best ways for you and your doctor to determine whether you have ADHD as opposed to possibly another situational struggle. All right, and before we get started, I wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. You'll be hearing a little bit more about Magic Mind later in the episode, so stay tuned. But yeah, I guess we'll just jump into it if you're ready, uh, because I'm curious. I know you mentioned in your book that um, your brother did have uh, ADHD, but wasn't necessarily diagnosed as a child. And I guess, you know, you didn't. What was your experience with ADHD? Oh, you want to just get started, right? Yeah, sure. Well, because we're already recording. (laughs) Uh, Okay. so um, so. You know, my experience was that my brother had undiagnosed, untreated ADHD. It was the 70s. You know, people didn't really understand ADHD that well. Um, and he he struggled. He certain, There was certainly no um, kind of uh, a pattern of um, giving medication to kids who were not really in facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was just, um, a lot of, um, n- you know, a lot of, uh, nervousness and explosions and my parents struggled with him and, um, he struggled with them. And I tried to like do my, the best I could by trying to be as perfect as possible. Um, which, you know, is its own set of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what happened is that I found when I became a psychologist that I was kind of drawn to these kids and I didn't actually understand why. And then my nephew was diagnosed at like five, six or seven. And, and then it, things sort of did the course that they often do. A child gets a diagnosis and then a parent thinks, I don't have that. And, um, and so it, it kind of actually shed a whole new light on my understanding of my family. Um, and I don't have a formal diagnosis, but I certainly have some traits. You know, I struggle with emotional control and time management. Um, you know, I, um, I always think I could do more in a given amount of time than I actually can do. So I <laughs> overestimate my ability and I underestimate how long things take. Um, and, you know, I'm an intense person and, I have sadly lost my temper more than I wish I had. Um, As I've matured, I've really worked on that and I continue to work on that. And, 
you know, I certainly, I have a regular meditation practice and I do yoga and I exercise a lot and all of those things help. I don't drink caffeine, never have. So, um, so I think that, that, that sparked my interest and I still feel a real, um, I don't know, compassion and interest in kids who are, you know, neurodivergent kids who have ADHD, kids who have learning challenges, kids who might be level one on the spectrum, particularly kids who live with anxiety and depression. Um, I feel like these are kids who need allies and advocates. And I, from my own experiences, growing up as a somewhat, as an anxious child, um, and from my family, I feel like that's what I, that's my job. That's my purpose, you know, to mm-hmm. offer people who struggle um, with these challenges. And, you know, as I've progressed in my career and since my book was written and I, I've, all, I've sort of stumbled into also working with adults, which has been really great. Um, people like you who get a diagnosis when they're 40 and are trying to figure out, okay, well, what does this mean, you know, when I look backwards, but mostly and more importantly, like, how does this mean when I look forwards? Like, how do I look into the future of my life? Um, and in, you know, also, you know, in my day to day present, cause those it's sort of like the present is this moment, but then there's like tomorrow. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It is, it is. Um, I, I mean, yeah, it's nothing short of of revelatory when I think of how there was in the very beginning so much grief looking back at, you know, my childhood. I talk about how, um, you know, I was, uh, I'm born in 74. So this is like early eighties, but in kindergarten, I was left-handed and my kindergarten teacher forced me to become Mm -hmm. right-handed, uh, which, right. Which it feels like in the eighties, that's terrible, right. It was awfully draconian, but, um, you know, it was one of those sort of family stories where my parents would laugh about it. Uh, Oh, isn't that funny that your teacher made you do that. And now since my diagnosis and I look back at all of like my handwriting issues and dysgraphia and all these, you know, that feeling like I had an undiagnosed, learning disorder, you know, like so many of us who are diagnosed in adulthood have that feeling of like, there just was something off, you know, and the signs now looking back, realizing the signs were there all along, just nobody knew what to look for and nobody knew what they were even looking at and and how there's so much Mm -hmm. grief around that, like wondering how my life could have been different Mm -hmm. had somebody noticed. And then, like you said, now realizing, oh my goodness, like my, my view of who I am is changing so dramatically uh what am mm-hmm. i capable of how do you know what mm-hmm. it just feels sometimes like i often use the metaphor of the phoenix right like it, it took an emotional yeah. meltdown for me to get this diagnosis um and a lot a lot of struggles but now it does sort of feel like the the sky is the limit and you know i yeah. actually have interviewed quite a few women who were diagnosed in adulthood who had a very similar experience where they had a sibling who either was diagnosed um, or, you know, just had more of the stereotypical symptoms and traits of of a child with ADHD. And they were then labeled as the good kid, the easy one, uh, don't cause problems with your parents. Like, you know, we're just grateful for you. Like, just stay quiet and, (laughs) and, and and don't get into trouble. And, and, you know, examining the anxiety 
anxiety that comes from that as you get older. And, and then you mix in the desire as a female, socialized as a female to be likable and to not cause trouble and, and the, the emphasis on, on behaving well. It just feels like the yeah. perfect cocktail for anxiety, which is why so many of us are misdiagnosed with, with depression and anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. That's right. And I think that's, that's actually what happens for a lot of women. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's that was certainly my experience. I, I was um, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety in university. And then um, it, when I fr- had my first child, I then was diagnosed with postpartum depression and anxiety. And now I sort of look back and realize a lot of that was sensory issues. You know, I think mm-hmm. um, we talk a lot about like the uh, emotional regulation. I don't think I was necessarily depressed, but I do think I would kind of be thrown into a rage, not knowing why I would get thrown into a rage and then feel like a terrible person, a terrible wife or a terrible mother because of that rage and going through that cycle. And now realizing like a lot Mm -hmm. of that had to do with overstimulation and, and Mm -hmm. had I known what was happening. um, Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's just fascinating going through and looking through all of these like life moments through this new lens. Mm Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. When it comes to maintaining focus and energy throughout the day, I tend to rely heavily on caffeine. But that can backfire when I get over-caffeinated and end up with that jittery, agitated feeling that interferes with my ability to focus and be productive. This is where Magic Mind comes in. Unlike regular energy drinks, Magic Mind contains minimal caffeine, but is loaded up with all natural ingredients like the adaptogens ashwagandha and turmeric, nootropics and matcha, all of which help you keep that focus and motivation throughout the day. As a special offer for listeners of the Women in ADHD podcast, you'll get 20% off your order. Simply head over to magicmind.co slash womenadhd and make sure to enter the code ADHD at checkout. Again, head to magicmind.co slash womenadhd and you'll find that link in the show notes for 20% off your order. So now I... I guess going back to this idea of getting misdiagnosed and and really struggling a lot with that feeling of just feeling different or um, feeling, I certainly felt like I had a, a, a learning disorder because I struggled in school, but I also know a lot of women who are diagnosed in adulthood didn't struggle with in school. They actually did quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, like, what do you think are some of the most overlooked symptoms in girls, especially in school, um, even if they are doing well? Well, I think that because many girls struggle with inattentive ADHD, uh, they don't, they're, they're, they don't draw as much, um, concern because those symptoms are much more internal, you know, kind of a, a, a dreaminess, a space, a, a sort of spacing out a distractedness, uh, you know, um, a sort of it's quieter the, the anxiety may be more in, you know it's more internalized necessarily than externalized um and so um they're not uh people don't don't see them they may not be succeeding as well at school or they may be doing fine at school um uh, until they get to a place where their executive functioning challenges 
overwhelm their intelligence, their, their ability to sort of plow through material. And we usually see that around middle school or high school. And that's when, you know, we see an increase in the diagnosis of ADHD among girls. Yeah, I think that's definitely where my issues started in middle school. And I know we've ta- I've talked with many women who sort of talk about the, uh, the lack of... Or, the reduction in structure, or I guess the sort of increase in, in independence and the, you know, some kids in middle school just can't, you know, ha- uh, impose their own structure. So when you're, they're relying on um, more independence with studying and more independence with larger projects, that's where it kind of fell apart for me. But then there's also the other side of the coin, which is the hormonal element, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, is it, it, what would you say are, are there symptoms that are specific to females? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I think there are symptoms that are specific to inattentive and ADHD and um, hyperactive, impulsive ADHD. And I think if we try to feminize the symptoms, then we do a disservice to boys who have inattentive ADHD. Um, I certainly think that some of the traits for women in terms of wanting to please other people, to to value themselves through their social connections and how they're performing socially, um, put different stressors on girls than there are on boys, Um, standards of being perfect, um, put stressors on girls, um, I think that um, we see that uh, girls with ADHD are much more likely to show anxiety or depressive signs early on, whereas we see more oppositional defiant diagnoses with boys. Um, so I think that, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to sort of genderize the traits because I think the traits are, you know, have been researched and are, you know, differentiated by the type of ADHD rather than the gender you have with it. That's a good point. I see. I see why that could be problematic for me. I think I, I feel like the conversation so often with me and my guests is comes down to like, is this ADHD or is this just being a feminist? You know, <laughs> like you know, mm-hmm. so much of so much of our the anxiety, especially, but also it's really difficult to parse how many of these traits come from um, socialization as opposed to. Genetic. I, I mean, we want to remember that, you know, ADHD is the most inherited mental health diagnosis there is, you know, with a genetic component somewhere between 45 and 55 percent of parents. So kids who have an ADHD, who have a diagnosis of ADHD, excuse me, have, you know, a 50 percent chance that there's a parent who has ADHD. And, mm-hmm. and that's important, but it also runs in families. So Um, you know, you may, you as a parent may not have it, but your brother might (laughs) and your daughter might, you know, or your son. Yeah. That's the conversation I'm having with my kids a lot of the time nowadays, because I have a 10 year old boy and a almost 15 year old daughter. And since my diagnosis, and because I basically am like living and breathing ADHD through the podcast and just my own hyper-focus and research and and interest in it, Mm -hmm. you know, they asked me that question. Do you think I have ADHD and I, I like, I, it boggles my mind that I still don't know the answer to this question with mm-hmm. either of my children, because both of them, I think, 
um, exhibit so many neurodivergent characteristics, but they're also very different in, you know, because of, I think one's a boy and one's a girl, one's the older child, one's the younger child. Like, so there's the birth order issue, you know, there's so many factors leading to, um, their traits. And then again, like neither of them really, knock on wood is struggling in school. Um, but a lot of that I think has to do with the fact that I have been able to help them. You know, the last two years have been a bit of an anomaly in terms of schooling. Mm-hmm. There's no homework anymore, which is, is right. can be great. Uh, you know, we did so many hybrid learning and, and remote learning. So I was able to be a lot more invested in their schooling than I ever had been in the past. And I think they benefited from that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's this question of like, they have, there are, there are executive function issues with both of them, but at the same time, I'm like, how do I even, um, because so, because they are so well-behaved and I think, you know, because they, uh, st- place a lot of emphasis and a lot of their anxiety and, and doing well in school and getting good grades, uh, part of me wonders, you know, how do I even know if they have ADHD? Is it just neurodivergence or is it ADHD? Right. I guess that's what where I come yeah. down to. When we talk about ADHD, are we talking about uh, you know chronic behaviors or executive function difficulties that well, are? It's a biologically based um, you know uh, disorder for a lot condition. I prefer the word condition. Based on you know defi- de- sort of deficiencies in the dopamine and norepinephrine systems of the brain, and so you know when you think about well like what are some traits that we would like to we would or look for or what are some patterns that we would look for particularly in girls who are doing okay in school, you know it would have to do with you know social connections and social relationships. It would have to do with um, stress levels related to school. Like they may be doing well, but they may be super stressed about it and have to spend uh, you know, more time on their homework than other kids. Um, they may experience a level of distractedness or demonstrate a level of distractedness or anxiety, worry about things that are beyond their control. That is somewhat a, a typical, um, you know, they also may feel, um, they may have uh, periods of low self-esteem. So we're looking for signs that aren't necessarily just executive functioning skills. They may struggle with time management. They may struggle with um, uh, being able to get started on something. Um, They may struggle with uh, remembering things. Um, So we want to sort of have a broader lens that we're looking at. I would say all of the above with with my kids. My daughter, for instance, is it's her it's her room. Her room is a disaster. That's always sort of feels like that's the red flag for me is the chronic disorganization, the time blindness, um, the yeah, the, mm-hmm. like you said, the inability to determine how long it takes to do things, and um, and it, but again, yeah, like I think a lot of her, she's very bright, and so she has not yet had to you know put a lot of time and effort into school. It's come very easy for her. So I'm curious mm-hmm. when she gets into larger, like more essays and, and the bigger projects that I know I certainly struggled with, um, mm-hmm. being, you know, uh, having to start large projects, uh, was always really difficult. I think I have a I feeling mean, yeah, she's going to have I, I, that t- issue. Time blindness, disorganization, you may be able to do well at school, but 
your desk might be, you know, like a tornado hit it. Your room may be like a tornado. You may rush to get to school and you can't find things. You're losing things. I mean, these are all things. These are all sort of characteristics that we would look at. This episode is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. Magic Mind was created by James Bashara, a Silicon Valley investor and entrepreneur who ended up in the ER with a heart condition brought on by the combination of stress and caffeine. He started researching natural alternatives, teamed up with scientists and medical professionals, and he created the Magic Mind drink and wrote the book Beyond Coffee. I personally really like the taste, and it's a nice little shot of energy to keep me focused throughout the day without any of that jittery, agitated feeling I get from too much coffee. Beyond just energy and focus, it has ingredients to help you stress less, reduce brain fog, and stay on task. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 20% off your order. And make sure to enter the code ADHD at checkout. Again, that's magicmind.co slash womenADHD, and you can find that link in the show notes for 20% off your order. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at gohenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's gohenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. I would say the number one question I get from women on, you know, at least if I'm DM'd on social media is the feeling like I am relating very deeply to ADHD literature or ADHD, uh, TikTok videos or memes, you know, like I'm feeling mm -hmm. like I'm really relating to this. Um, especially since the pandemic, I think there's been such mm -hmm. a tremendous, you know, influx of adult women who are adults in general, who are getting an ADHD diagnosis since the pandemic. And along with this interest in sort of feeling like I, you know, maybe I have this, I feel really seen by this. I feel really like a lot of this describes some of these seemingly random struggles I've had throughout my life. It feels like this could be the answer. And then there's also that feeling of like, well, what if my doctor doesn't believe me, you know, or what if I'm, looking for an answer. And I, I've found, I think it's ADHD, but it's not really, you know, it, I liken it to like going to the eye doctor when the eye doctor, you know, asks you like, which is, which is more clear a or B and you're like, uh, mm -hmm. can I see a again? I don't know. Wait, what about, is it B? And then be like, who put me in charge? You know, this, this is feeling right. like, like how, you know, there's so much self doubt around and confusion around whether this is or isn't ADHD. And I feel like, is that, do you feel like that's specific to ADHD or yes. is this? Yeah. I, I, yes. And I think that if you think you might, I mean, so there's, first of all, the question is always what happened, what has happened since the pandemic lockdown? Why do so many people suddenly like, Oh, I think I have ADHD. So, um, I think that 
there's been a lot, there's been sort of a lot of videos posted on TikTok and people are around, they feel distracted, they feel overwhelmed, they're trying to manage their kids, they're maybe trying to work from home. Um, this was, you know, when kids were learning at home, um, a lot of pe- a lot of us are, are sort of go back and forth. Like I know I was in my office seeing people masked down back at home, not seeing people. So there's a lot of change and there's a general sense of a lack of control over a lot of things. And so I think it's very hard, um, uh, to kind of determine, well, is this just depression? Cause it's, you know, like January and there's snow on the ground and I can't go outside because it's January, 2021 and no one's vaccinated or January, 2022, when people are vaccinated and there's a, a another, you know, there's a variant that's keeping us inside. So, you know, we want to differentiate between that. And I think your doctor should be able to give you some kinds of forms to fill out you know, the differentiate between ADHD or anxiety. And if your doctor can't, then that's the time to look for uh, a therapist who can do that or a psychologist who's, who can do that. I mean, you may or may not need a full evaluation. For a lot of people, full evaluations are very helpful. But a lot of the, you know, leaders in the field of ADHD, like Barclay and Brown, and feel like the the best way to determine ADHD is actually through, you know, an extensive interview um, to, so, so you can do some, you know, sort of rating scales and then you're interviewed at length to determine, you know, is, you know, is this more anxiety? Did the anxiety come first? And then the ADHD, you know, is this depression or is this ADHD with some anxiety and depression? You know, we have to, you really have to spend some time with someone to figure that out. And I think that in our, culture today where everyone wants a fast answer. You want to fill out three, answer three questions and then, yes, I have this. You're doing yourself a disservice by doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I think there's also the question of self-diagnosis and, and even getting an official diagnosis, which I think is a conversation I have a lot on this podcast because there are so many barriers to getting a diagnosis right now, especially, you know, just, it's hard enough to get a dentist appointment, much less a doctor's yes, appointment. And it's right hard now. to find a therapist. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, they sort of feel like, well, what's the danger in just looking into what ADHD even is and how, you know, the more you look into kind of how it has maybe shown up in your life and what you can do about that. Like I often mm-hmm. say like the half the treatment is really just kind of taking the time to understand what it is and how this may have affected you and how you can start to kind mm-hmm. of radically change your, your view. And like you said, you know, start to make cho- lifestyle choices, like I, prioritizing exercise and sleep and all of these things Mm -hmm. that we know are going to be helpful regardless of whether you're officially diagnosed or not. That's right. That's right. And I think, um, the, the idea of a diagnosis is not so you can, you know, have a label that you can like embroider on the back of your jacket, but it's actually a roadmap. You know, it's like, okay, if this is the diagnosis, what, you know, so I've named the territory what what do I want to do to sort of live in this territory or traverse this territory? So, you know, what does it mean? What are some common tools people use? What are other people's experiences? That's why a podcast like yours is so helpful so people can listen and feel like they get some information and some support as well. Yeah, and I guess also just like I had said earlier when we were talking, the the sharing of lived experience for whatever reason, I think has been incredibly cathartic 
for women who are exploring what ADHD looks like. And, and I feel like, you know, even, even just this Sari Solden self-test that's on, on attitude magazine, which mm-hmm. I took the original ADHD self-test that was for, um, men and women. It was just a regular adult one. And I didn't really relate to it much. Cause I never thought of myself as hyperactive. It was the, you know, I think uh, my story is, um, I'm shared, shared by a lot of adult women who are sort of like, it was suggested to me. I had ADHD. I had no idea what it was. I thought of a hyperactive little boy. I thought I'm not hyperactive. Uh, I could actually lie on the couch for hours in a depressed <laughs> state. Um, that's not my issue. I'm not fidgety or anything. And then taking the self-test and not really relating to the need to move a lot. And even though, you know, you, you we all are incredibly, you know, we do, once you start to look into your own fidgets, you realize, I think many of us realize that we have them. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, the the idea that, I wasn't really understanding what ADHD was when it was first suggested to me. And it wasn't until I took Sari Solden's uh, self-test that I started to realize, uh, you know, she talks about like how your ha- uh, how organized your house is and, and how mm-hmm. much shame you hold around the, that mm-hmm. messiness and the disorganization. And those were those like light bulb moments where I was like, oh yeah, okay, now I'm connecting the dots and now I'm understanding, yes. you know, and those are those like real love lived experiences and what, you know, what was so great about your book on, um, you know, what your ADHD child wishes you knew, what I loved about it was how you wove in so many of those personal lived experiences firsthand Mm -hmm. from so many children of different ages. I felt like it just, you know, rather than having a textbook, that's like, dear parent, this is what you say. And this is Mm -hmm. what they say, you know, it was just so beautifully, I think there's something really, really healing or, um, I can't think of a different word other I know I already use cathartic, but I'll use it again. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there is something incredibly powerful about reading those, um, vignettes and these personal experiences mm. and why I think. Thank mediums. you. I appreciate hearing that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. It's a fantastic book. I definitely recommend it for any parent out there who, or, you know, even if you don't, I mean, I think it was very helpful just for me to, to recognize myself in a lot of those kids, because a lot mm-hmm. of that adult diagnosis yeah. journey is going back and being like, yeah. yeah, you know, I was really struggling and nobody really got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and the signs were there. And then, so it really helped me f- kind of feel like, um, you know, that I wasn't broken, you know, as, as we mm. often talk about, right. You know, that there, there is such that mm-hmm. belief in so many of us that we, that there was some, everybody else got the manual and we didn't. <laughs> yeah. That's what's so, that's what's so great. My, my friend and colleague, Tamara Rosier, you know, the title of her book, your brain's not broken is such a brilliant title Yeah, because you know, so many people feel like they are broken and you're not, your brain's just different. Right. Yeah. And, and even different in what way? Like, I mean, you know, we talk about gender diversity and racial diversity and religious diversity and economic diversity. That's what neurodiversity is. We all have different, different brains. And, you know, I think that we need to honor that just like we honor those types of diversity. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I've talked about this in the past where, you know, with my parents, for instance, I, I had a very kind of typical, interest driven, uh, report card where I would get A's and I would get D's and nothing in between. And, you know, there were so many times that all my parents cared about were the D's and they would harp on the consistency and nobody was really paying attention to the things I was good at. It was mostly just like, you know, we always joke. If you came home with a 98, my mother would say, what happened to the other 2%? 
and mm. how that kind of morphed into a sense of perfectionism, which then morphed into, you know, a, well, I'm just not going to try. If I can't be perfect, I'm just not going to try. And, um, you know, my parents would always say things like, well, I had two older brothers who did very well in school, always had straight A's, scholarships, Ivy League schools. And and so my parents said, you know, well, we can't all, all of our kids can't be perfect. All of our kids can't get straight A's. That's fine. You have you have, a, you're good at other things. Uh, and, and I realize now, like that was really damaging to me because I felt mm-hmm. very bright and I felt like, why, why am I not getting, why am I not getting A's? Like nobody really is telling me how to get them explicitly. Right. And so anyway, this is a little bit of a tangent. Cause I, I think my point was, my own chain, my own thinking has shifted from kind of like, oh, well, that's just who you are to, you know, what do you need in your life to get those A's? What do you need in your life to succeed? Um, and so I think that's really changed how I, how I parent too. Right. It was, I used Mm -hmm. to sort of think of my children as like, oh, you're the good student. Oh, you're not the good student. You're, but you're, it's a fine, you're good at other things. And, and Mm -hmm. rather, you know, really trying to listen to like, what do they want to be good at? What are they interested in and how can I help them succeed in those things? When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food or my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com slash coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womenandadhd.com slash coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. So going back to the idea of, of ADHD, the acronym, and how inaccessible it feels for a lot of people, especially uh, adult women, if you had a chance to call it something else, would you would you call it something else? That's a really fun question. Well, I think if I were going to use the letters ADHD, I'd probably call it awesomely diverse human differences. Ah, nice. Um, and if I'm going to call it something altogether different, uh, I'd have to think about that. I think I might call it something like um, something like selective attention differences, because that's what it's really about. It's about being able to. Um, pay attention to some things that you find interesting and valuable and compelling and then struggling with paying attention to other things that are less so. Mm -hmm. So I would do something about selective attention differences. Yeah, there you go. I think that's what I would do. Sad. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's terrible. Wait, wait, let's redo. I don't like sad. So let's do it this way. Um, I know Hallowell and Radia are running with fast, the variable attention. I'm not. Yeah, I I think I might do like, maybe, um, maybe something like differential attention condition. So how about DAC? DAC. Sad. 
That's good. At least it's it'll still be Googleable. That's my issue with Vast. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you still you'll you'll still always have to type Vast ADHD together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting because you know what it reminded me of with the acronym SAD was the fact that I think a lot of women like I did don't relate as much to the attention um, focus element, right? I think a lot of us come to our own ADHD understanding through the emotional elements, the stuff that's not in the DSM, the the rejection sensitivity and Mm -hmm. the difficulty with... um, shame, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. self image and how those are sort of interwoven into how we are treated and spoken to as children. Yeah, I I think that's true. I mean, I think that, that a lot of women accept, accept and a certain level of dissatisfaction and personal, maybe sadness um, in, in, as part of what it is to be them instead of feeling like, um, no, you know, I'm not, there isn't something wrong with me. Um, that would be a great name for the, for instead of ADHD, there isn't anything wrong with me. <laughs> right. You know? uh, yeah, I know. I think the, the, speaking of book, brilliant book titles, the, you mean I'm not lazy. Um, yes, exactly. Is right. it lazy, stupid and something crazy. I think those are the, right. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. that was definitely, I think one of the best book titles (laughs) to just describe that realization, I guess. So I guess my other question, just going back to the idea of like, is this ADHD or is this something else? If, if a woman is feeling kind of like there's some gatekeeping going on from her doctor or she's feeling minimized, like what kind of advice we talked about this, I guess, a little bit, but like, what kind of advice would you give a woman? Well, who... I would, I would try to seek out someone who knows about ADHD and get a consultation. Um, and you can pursue some sort of evaluation, like a more formal psychological evaluation, mm-hmm. um, which is what we commonly call testing. Um, but you, you know, you can also try to meet with someone who understands ADHD or is more of an expert and can give you a, a formal diagnosis, or you can push your doctor and say, I, um, I want to be evaluated. I need, I, I understand that you don't think I have this. Then is there someone in the practice who could evaluate me? Who's not you. Again, it depends on what, what your experience is, what you're experiencing and what your history is, because you, you know, what you're experiencing now, if it's vastly different than anything you've experienced. And that probably doesn't indicate ADHD and it might indicate more situational anxiety or depression. But if what you're experiencing now is just an exacerbation of things that have already been present, uh, then that's, uh, that's a different sort of kettle of fish and, and worth um, exploring with someone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that was definitely a question I asked myself a lot when I was first looking into ADHD, which was, wow, like all of these seemingly random struggles that I had experienced going back to middle school are all making sense in in the, you know, through this lens of ADHD. Um, But again, like when you get out, you know, when I, when I think about like ADHD is something that is present throughout your life. So you really have to kind of show evidence of struggle um, and, and 
for me, it was a little more obvious, but I guess there are a lot of women who really didn't you know, didn't have obvious evidence of struggle in school um, or in early life. It was almost like this sort of building anxiety <laughs> that was brewing underneath mm-hmm. from being bright and, yeah. and, and being high achieving. And, um, you know, they're, I think they get to a place where it's sort of like, well, how do I even prove if I was struggling? Right. It's, it's, it's a really mm-hmm. objective, or, um, not a very mm-hmm. objective question for a lot of people. Yeah. I think. It's true, but it's not about, it's not necessarily about proof. It's about, you know, your, your, your pat, it's about patterns of life and experience. It's not about, you know, it's about looking at, uh, the, 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 the patterns, the, the facts of, of uh, the experiences that you've had mm-hmm. rather than, you know, I'm trying to find proof. Right. Well, let me show you in this moment here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. I guess I think about like in the UK where oftentimes your parents will get pulled into it where they'll say like, you know, bring your parents in. We want to know what your experience was as a child, bring your report cards, mm. that kind of thing. And it does almost feel like you're being asked for proof. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so many yeah. of us, when we talk to our parents about ADHD and they say things like, oh, all families are like that, or just don't be ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I think our, mm-hmm. our family members can sometimes be the biggest deniers of ADHD. Mm-hmm. And they may have their own sh- feelings of shame or, you know, embarrassment about various aspects of your childhood or of their own. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. If people want to work with you or people want to find you, how can, how, what's the best way to get more of you? Thank you for asking. Um, please go to my website, www.drsharonceline.com, which has all kinds of free resources. You can also reach me on Facebook, which is uh, where I post a lot of things about what's happening and um, articles and topics of interest and um, all kinds of information for you. I do have a YouTube channel where I have videos on various topics related to ADHD. So all of those things would be great ways to reach me. And I do a weekly Facebook live for Attitude Magazine on Fridays at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's another way to connect and join a community of people just like you. Oh, awesome. I actually didn't know about that. Okay. I will definitely put a link to that in the show notes as well as your website and and your Facebook. All right. Well, I really, really appreciate you sitting down and talking to me. Thank you so much. It's, um, I, like I said, I recommend your book to everybody and I recommend your website. I mean, it's just such an incredible resource, just the, the, thank you uh, blog and, and, um, you've done so many wonderful webinars and podcasts. And, and so, yeah, thank you again for, for sitting down and, and sharing some of your knowledge. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for starting this podcast and sharing your journey with so many people. It's very healing. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. 
or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.